Hey there, welcome to The Career Prescription. I'm your host, Marjorie Stiegler. This podcast is all about the important stuff they don't teach you in medical school, about how to treat your career like the business it really is, and how to be strategic about your success. You deserve to love your work, and whether that's academic, private practice, non-clinical, or even entrepreneurial, this podcast will help you get ahead and do more of what you love. Every episode is inspired by questions from listeners just like you. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything. And of course, send me your questions so I can use them for a future episode. Are you ready? Let's get into it. So today's topic is an incredibly important one, and it's one that many people I think are afraid or even ashamed to ask about. So I want to start by acknowledging that and just putting it all out there. You know, a lot of people do ask me for advice about how to get a non-clinical career, and it's not that surprising because people are increasingly frustrated with the modern healthcare system, they're increasingly burned out, and a lot of doctors want to know more about non-clinical careers. And wanting to learn about a non-clinical career or wanting to have a non-clinical career is not shameful. So if you're one of those who's been thinking about this, but feeling bad about it or not really ready to pursue it, I want to let you in on a secret. I get contacted by an average of 10 doctors every single week who want to pick my brain about this. Not just ones who say they'd like to have a podcast episode about this or a blog post about this, but they literally want to get on the phone with me. That's more than one a day. Now, I'm not a career coach and I don't do personal one-on-one sessions and I don't really have the bandwidth uh, to do that anyway, but I do have empathy. I, I really feel where people are coming from. And of course, having made a transition myself from a more than decade long successful academic career to a pivot into a leadership role in industry, I've got some tips and tricks and I'm going to share them with you. It seemed to me that the best way to help the most people with this type of question is through podcasts and blog posts and webinars. And I do also now have a mini course called the Industry Insider. So check the show notes if you want to learn a little bit more about that. But rest assured, this is a very, very common question and for good reason. So because people want to know about getting a non-clinical career, I mean, that in and of itself is a huge topic and we'll visit it throughout uh, the episodes on this podcast series over time. But today, specifically, we're going to talk about one of the most important things that you have to have, and you have to have it ready to even begin to have a conversation. Because if you did suddenly have an opportunity to speak to a leader or recruiter in a non-clinical career environment, you have to have something good to send them. So today, let's talk about your CV and your resume, depending upon what you already have. More likely, it's a CV, and if you're an academic physician, your CV format is very, very far from what the industry um, recruiters and hiring managers and, and colleagues and leaders are going to want to look at. And frankly, even if you are interested in staying in academics but moving into administration, it will really help you to have this second document fully developed. Um, so if you are like me and you're kind of mid-career and you have a bunch of accomplishments and you've been going about doing your normal academic-y stuff, you may have a very long CV. That's one of the most uh, most striking differences is that your CV can be quite long. Mine is nearly 50 pages and nobody in industry wants that. They want something short. Of course, the old advice is you've got to have a one-pager and one page is perhaps a little unrealistic for some of us, uh, but It really depends on how much you have going on there. I'm going to give you sort of four fixes for your 
current CV or resume to turn it into something that is more industry friendly so you will have it on hand. Now, I'll be the first to say that there's a lot of work that would go into developing a really strong resume the way I'm going to talk about it today. So I'm going to tell you how to do it. And please know that even if you sat down to do it tonight, this is not a one and done. This is something you're going to want to work on, refine and think about, uh, especially if you begin to have conversations with people outside of clinical medicine and you get to kind of see what it is that they're looking for and what they find appealing and what they would be interested in recruiting. Again, a lot of people contact me and they say, you know, I want to learn about academics or if I happen to have posted something about a company that I'm aware of that's interested in hiring physicians, people will say, can you send me the recruiters? Can you refer the recruiters to me? My first question is always, you know, let me see your LinkedIn profile or let me see your CV. Because if somebody has something that is already set up that could be an acceptable sort of first start, then I'm much more likely to be able to broker that connection. It's and, And as would be true for anybody that you would connect with, because it's really, really hard to do the translating of an academic CV, especially for a person you may not know, to a recruiter who has a totally different set of things that they're looking for. So you've got to have two kinds of documents. And I'm going to, you know, again, give you four fixes so you could take a look at the CV that you have. Now, first of all, I'm going to acknowledge that if you have an academic CV or you're in an institution that requires a certain format, a lot of times they're very cryptic. Different institutions have totally different formats, and they want you to write down all kinds of different things, including teaching experience, writing experience, uh, speaking experience, and research, and memberships, and just, I mean, it goes on. And the kinds of things uh, that your education and your certifications, and it gets very, very long and very, very detailed. And as many of you know, you know, they want every moment in your career accounted for. And they want everything that you've done sort of no matter how big or how small, on there, because it's supposed to be this enormous, comprehensive, chronological document. But if you have a chance to get to talking to anybody in a non-clinical organization, that is not at all what they're going to want. They're going to want it to be much shorter, but they're going to want it to be a little bit different. So here is fix number one. This is the most striking and probably the easiest thing to do. So first of all, you do not want to have a multi-page chronological document that's just not informative. What you want for your industry CV or resume has to be something that really tells more of a story about you. So fix number one is nix the chronological order business. You may want to start with some kind of a summary about yourself. And then of course, things like education and you know your, your various work positions will be in chronological order. Not all of them need to be included, and many of them can be condensed. So that's one thing to kind of keep in mind is that you do not need to list every single thing that you have done. Different appointments, right? Because you've been promoted perhaps in a given academic institution. You can just stick with the one that you have currently probably and say the number of years that you've been there. But nobody needs to know about your sort of progression from instructor to an assistant professor to an associate professor in industry. They don't care about that. They may not even know uh, what it means potentially. So you can condense some things. Um, If you went, uh, you know, to a variety of different types of certifications and things like that beyond basic, you know, college, medical school and fellowship. Those are probably not necessary. It could be a supplement. It depends on how much stuff you have, of course, and whether or not your experience in those things is relevant to the job that you're looking at. But again, ditch the sort of chronological order. What you want is a really a short version of something that tells your skill set. 
So you, you don't want to have it kind of broken up in an arbitrary way where important things about you happen to be at the end because that's how they are listed right now in your CV. Think instead as you go through, what are the most important things that would paint a picture of how you solve problems? And maybe that's a different fix, but I'm lumping it in here with get rid of the chronological order and sort of replace it with this idea of how you have solved problems, a story of how you've solved problems. So it should have, you know, sort of that higher level uh, chronological order in terms of where you've worked and where you trained. But in a nutshell, it needs to be about the kinds of successes and problem solving uh, situations that, that tell a story about what you bring to the table. So try to replace your chronological order with those kinds of things. And if that means you cut out a lot of stuff and it's totally omitted, that is probably fine. If a person asks you, what were you doing, you know, during this period of time, you can have that conversation with nobody is going to be scrutinizing from industry. No one's scrutinizing your resume to find missing holes with unexplained. What were you doing periods of time? That's not at all uh, on the radar, really, if what is on there is impressive and tells that story about why someone might want to hire you, why you are intriguing. Plus, it needs to be short and, and sweet enough to be able to be digested. The reality is that unless you know somebody and you have some type of connection, if you are submitting your resume, it's likely going to go through a computer match before it lands in an HR person's lap who's going to, again, look for keywords. So there's an awful lot of sort of automatic elimination. So really, you're going to want to completely rewrite this document. It's tremendously important. What you have going on right now is never going to get you a type of job that you're thinking about uh, in industry without some uh, you know, definite foot in the door connection or someone who's, who's ready to advocate on your behalf that can tell that story about you. So it's better if, you're, if your uh, resume does it. Okay, fix number two. So we've gotten away from chronological chronological order and we're talking instead about storytelling and how you solve problems. Fix number two is to replace tasks with competencies. So in your typical CV, you probably have a whole list of various types of publications or speaking. And then if you don't have those, or even if you do, when you're describing sort of your, your clinical work or your administrative work, the types of tasks that you do on a daily basis are not the same types of tasks that you would do in industry. So it's really not, uh, it does not help you or them for you to describe these in a lot of detail when you're talking about the tasks. What you do want to do though, is talk about the competencies that you possess in order to be able to execute those tasks well. Now, what do I mean by that? As an anesthesiologist, for example, a lot of the tasks involve physical procedures and they also involve um, monitoring and synthesizing large quantities of data. So instead of saying, well, I, you know, I observe someone's blood pressure and breathing and other, you know, metrics of homeostasis in the operating room, you know, you would want to describe more specifically in a way that can be generalized and, and appreciated that, you know, in real time, you monitor multiple streams of data, synthesize and interpret the significance so that you can identify, you know, and predict and rapidly correct things that have gone wrong. And that should be just one sentence because again, if unless it's directly relevant and they're looking for your specialty in the non-clinical role, which is, you know, uh, sometimes important if you're looking at, um, say a pharmaceutical company in research and development, then they may well want to have that depth, but a lot of other opportunities don't want that. So they want to understand the types of competencies that you have the types of ways in which you have skills that are transferable. So when you think about what you do on a daily basis, 
which is one way to sit down and kind of write down what do you do at work, and then try to zoom out a little bit and think about what it is uh, that you're really doing. And so this is a one that I think is oversimplified. And in a way, I'm kind of kidding here, but uh, I did have a physician reach out to me once who said, I really have no skills uh, that are, I, I just have tasks. I sit in urgent care all day and I try to avoid inappropriate writing of antibiotics because everyone comes to me for antibiotics. So I would say though, that there is a lot of avoiding the writing of inappropriate antibiotics really has quite a bit of, of, it's more important and has a bigger meaning than what it sounds like to say, I try to avoid writing scripts for antibiotics. What it really means is that this physician's being a really good steward of healthcare resources, because we know that there are uh, downsides to overprescription of antibiotics, right? So that's being a steward of resources, both financial resources and resources that have, you know, environmental outcomes. So I would word that in a different way. And instead of saying that, you know, what, what do you basically do on a daily basis is, you know, write scripts for common uh, infections, I would instead include some of those competencies that describe the judgment call that goes into deciding what you're going to do. And that's what so much of medicine is all about. And we forget how much judgment and competency we have. And when we think about sort of repetitive tasks. Okay, that leads, uh, I think, nicely into fix number three, which is to get out of your own zone and focus on the behaviors and skills that you can demonstrate that are transferable. So again, many physicians, when they contact me and they're interested in this, they will say, and it, it hurts me every time I hear it, that they're not trained to do anything else and they're only just a doctor. But in reality, when you think about the way in which you interface with a complicated healthcare system, your colleagues, the administrators, the patients, yourself, the technology, there are a lot of skills that are transferable. So I'm going to rattle off a few of them now that these are, I think, ones that almost everybody has. You can probably think of ways in which you've demonstrated this. That becomes really important if you check out Industry Insider. When you have the opportunity to communicate with somebody, whether it's an informal or formal interview, it's really important to have examples of how you've done the things that you are going to say you've done in terms of uh, transferable skills. So the types of things that people are looking for that are really desirable that you might intuitively say, yeah, a physician would have these are, of course, leadership, teamwork, communication skills, particularly writing and speaking, right? Uh, Self-directed learning. I mean, for the, so much of medical school, residency, and everything thereafter is at your own direction that you have to keep up with things on your own. That's really important. Uh, in industry, they, I don't know, necessarily want you to have self-directed learning, but they will want you to be self-directed, right? That autonomous person who doesn't need a lot of micromanagement is highly desirable. Relationship building is another one. In the business world, that's super important. In fact, it is perhaps the majority of what's important. And you know how to build relationships and you know how to do them really quickly because you have to with so many different types of colleagues, other types of clinicians and patients that you only have a few minutes in front of. So there's a lot of relationship building that you do and you just don't realize it. If you manage a team, having that direct managerial experience, meaning that you are responsible uh, for someone else's evaluations, that is super important. If you are uh, giving feedback for trainees, that is also really important, being able to train someone and give them feedback. Um, thinking about metrics and quality improvement is tremendously desirable. So even if you aren't doing something that is, you know, overtly a quality improvement project, think about the kinds of metrics that you might use to benchmark your own success, your own practice, and 
the types of things that you do to try to ensure quality in your practice. So thinking about those types of skills are highly, highly transferable. So again, that's got to go on your resume. So when you look at the different things that are on there now, if you can substitute some words or look at some of the different projects that you have done and think about them in this way, or list some of these things as being core competencies that you have. And again, since we're not doing chronological order and we're telling a story, this might be up at the top in a um, sort of executive summary or a core skills type of placement where you would list a handful of these things and potentially give a good example if you have something, uh, which takes me to fix number four, make it a marketing document with a value proposition. Now, I know many of you listening to me are thinking, what on earth does that mean? Uh, but again, you cannot expect somebody in industry, in business, in a totally non-medical role to look at your resume and to be able to connect the dots for how that would apply to what they need because they don't know what you do. You know what you do. And what you may you may know a little bit less about what they need, So, but still, you're the one who's going to have to do the dot connecting. So... You're going to want to have a value proposition in there. If you haven't thought about professional branding language, that's super important. Please check out the blog. There's a lot of posts and a lot of resources on professional branding over on my website. Um, also episodes for this podcast focusing on professional branding. But you want to make sure that that is front and center so that people know exactly who you are in terms of both your experience and your credentials what you are great at, what you can really bring to the table. And if you have metrics to back this up, then you're going to really want to include that. As an example, in my current role as a digital strategy director for a nonprofit, when we look back over the past year in the time from the time of this recording, we have more than doubled the fundraising for the organization via individual contributions. So that's an enormous metric because contributions for, from individuals. I mean, it's one thing to get corporate sponsorship, which of course we need and, and rely heavily upon. But when you have individual people donating to a nonprofit because they care about that cause, that is grassroots impact. And it's very, very noteworthy. It's absolutely resume worthy and it is money and it is a marker of effectiveness and communication from that strategy. And it demonstrates the return on investment uh, for someone to have hired someone to conduct digital strategy. Digital strategy oversees the website and social media outreach and all that kind of interplay. So when I think about a marketing document and what it would be easy for you as listeners to understand and what is an easy example from, from my, um, my various roles that I've had, that is one that I would absolutely uh, put on there. So I wouldn't just, you know, write down and, and I would, I would not write down, you know, the date, the organization and my title, and then move on to the next date organization and title. I would definitely not do that because we're getting away from chronological. We're trying to tell a story, right? I would include it because it's important. And I would make sure that instead of talking about the tasks, like creating a content calendar and ensuring that we have, you know, consistent and synchronized uh, dissemination of website content, that those are tasks, right? But the competencies is sort of thinking about engaging the external community to raise awareness about not only our mission, what we do and what we need and how they can contribute. That's more of a competency. And so that is making it more of that marketing document, particularly when I combine it with 
a metric. And there are other metrics too that we could use, including website metrics to say, you know, how, how much uh, in the percentages of, you know, thousand percent increases of website traffic and of platform growth and things like that. But make sure that it's just very, very concrete, not chronological, not task specific, but competencies, skills that are transferable and effectiveness metrics, marketing document. That is what you need your industry-friendly resume to be. And those are the four fixes that you need to make. And before I wrap up, I've got to tell you, I know a lot of people really don't want to do this, um, but it's got to be personalized. And everyone hates that part. You know, you want to have your resume and you want to be able to just fire it off to whomever is asking. That is going to work for your academic CV, but it's not going to work for something else. If you want to pivot into business, into industry, into administration, into leadership, into something that's a major non-clinical career for physicians, you're going to need to make sure that you tell a story, you connect the dots of your competencies, your expertise, the behavioral things that you do, that you bring something to the table that is a good return on investment for them to hire you. That is what this document needs to do. And so, of course, it's going to have to be personalized. You may want to take your entire CV and make sort of a mega or meta resume that has a lot of these kinds of examples on it. And then you may want to pull from that and sort of cut and paste depending upon who it is that you're sending it to and make it really relevant to that audience. So you cannot just maintain your 50 page CV. You cannot send that off and expect to get a response Please, please, please do not actually apply for a job with that if you can avoid it. Uh, that is unlikely to get you a response. All of the amazing things you've done, all of your highlights, all the feathers in your cap, they are buried somewhere in your chronological CV and their significance and importance also doesn't speak for itself, especially when you're getting outside of medicine. So there you go. One of the most important things if you want to be thinking about an industry career, a non-clinical career, a leadership career that's kind of getting you outside of your current academic or clinical track. One of the most important things to do is to get your documents in order. And that is a makeover from your crazy CV to an industry-friendly resume using those four fixes that I've just outlined. There you go. You're going to need to have it and you're going to need to personalize it. So Go forth, take that crazy CV of yours and uh, shape it into something that's much more industry friendly. If you have specific questions about how to do that, again, check the show notes. And if you don't find the answer to your question there, or if you have a different question, by all means, be in touch because you know I love to be able to address your question and give you a shout out on a future episode. Thanks for joining me on this episode of The Career Prescription. Please be sure to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast player you're using to listen today, and be sure to send me your questions so that I can answer them and give you a shout out on a future episode. Bye for now.